You're listening to the Inner Child Podcast. I saw that in that moment, surrender is the password to freedom. And then I began reflecting on this book, and I saw that all of the folks I really respected or inspired me in some way, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Mandela, Martin Luther King, like these folks, none of whom were weak people, that they got to the point in their lives where they all surrendered themselves to life. In that surrender, they transcended their human limitation and they tapped into another dimension of their own potential. Life began to express through them beyond their own human capacity. And that's when miracles happened. Hey, besties. The theme of surrender has come up multiple times on the podcast for the last few months. And it just so happened that our guest today is an expert on this topic. So I didn't plan this at all. My team books all the interviews for me. And so it was really just a happy coincidence, if you want to call it that. But I don't believe anything's a coincidence. And I want you guys to pay attention to this conversation very carefully. The conversation I had with this guest today was really profound. I actually had to pause a few times to really reflect you know, where we ended up talking about was really different from what I thought the whole conversation was going to unfold as. And this one is a real gem. And I'm very proud to be able to share it on the podcast today. Today, we are talking to Coot Blackson. He is a highly decorated international speaker, transformational teacher, multiple awards for his work and best-selling book, You Are the One, and his new book called The Magic of Surrender. And I knew before even meeting him that Kut was a very fascinating person. His father was from Ghana, his mother was Japanese, and he grew up in London. <laughs> so he has a multitude of background in his blood and has a lot to say about the purpose of surrender when it comes to healing from childhood trauma. This is a good one, guys. So without further ado, we're going to cut to the interview with Kut Blackson right after this intro. Hi, I'm Gloria Zhang, and after 10 years of struggling in toxic relationships, I attracted the love of my life by healing my inner child. This podcast is your weekly dose of my expertise as a therapist and dating relationship coach for high achievers. Learn tips to overcome low self-worth, emotional baggage, and childhood trauma so that you too can step into your power and attract the love you desire. Welcome to the Inner Child Podcast. So we want to welcome Coot Blackson to the Inner Child Podcast. Coot, what are you up to these days? Wow, living life, creating, writing, new projects launching new courses, spending time with my family, all of that yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Where are you guys living right now? I'm in Los Angeles, back in LA. Oh my goodness, yeah. LA, that's the spot I want to go. I've been trying to go since pre-COVID. Where are you all. based? I'm Canadian, so okay. I'm yeah, close to Toronto. Come anytime. Yes. <laughs> well, Coot, you have such an interesting background that I'm just so curious to dig into. I saw that your father was from Ghana, mother was Japanese, grew up in London before you moved to the States. You've just been everywhere. 
And I'm sure back then there wasn't as much representation as now, but how did that impact you when you were a kid? I didn't know anything else. And so, you know, on one level, it was amazing because Mm -hmm. the difference between my father, who's African, and his culture, my mother's culture, who's Japanese, and so opposite. And yet I felt it was a huge blessing to be able to be steeped in the rich African Ghanaian culture, the rich Japanese culture, and draw from both and have the blessing to be able to understand completely different cultures. So on one level, I felt doubly blessed. I didn't feel like I was African or Japanese. I didn't feel like I was Black or Asian. I felt like I was everything and nothing. And that was a huge blessing. If anything, I just felt like I was a soul. I didn't see my mother's color. I didn't even see my father's color because all I knew was what they were. And so it was, in a strange way, a profound blessing growing up that way because I was more focused on just the energy, the experience, and -hmm. the soul experience of what it was. Growing up in London, I think it gifted me the ability to be able to connect to so many different types of people because I could go to Japan and connect with the Japanese people and I could be in London with everyone there, be in Ghana, connect with everyone there. And so I think that was a real blessing because I grew up being perceived of as a bit different. Mm. And sometimes people say, oh, you know, being different in today's day and age. I think (laughs) being different, you can see it as like a handicap. I saw it as so positive because Mm -hmm. growing up, there was nobody like me. So that for me is what made me unique and gave me the ability to stand out and see life and existence and humanity in a totally different way. I love your interpretation of that coot because I feel like there is this assumption that if you are different, you're supposed to feel badly about it. I think that's right? bullshit. Yeah, you know, I'm this assumption on that. that if you're different, you have a disadvantage. If you're like everyone else, in a sense, maybe you're actually at a disadvantage. Right. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> so it, true. It, to me, it's how you see it. And so I became more focused on understanding that we are all souls. We are yeah. souls that incarnate into the human experience. What yes. color is your soul? What nationality is your soul? Does your soul have a passport? Your soul is a soul. There's no black soul, green soul, orange soul, Chinese soul, Japanese soul, (laughs) you know, Ethiopian soul. Soul is a soul. Soul is pure energy, the divine energy of life, intelligence Mm -hmm. that is manifesting in this human experience as a multiplicity of form. And so we are souls. We incarnate into the human experience. This is how I kind of began to sort of see things. We incarnate into the human experience in order to learn, to grow, to evolve. Life is like a university for our soul's evolution. And we all have our unique curriculum. Like you go to university, somebody studies economics, somebody studies mathematics, somebody studies physical ed, somebody studies (laughs) art, someone studies chemistry, biology, advanced, (laughs) blah, 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 right? And so everyone has different lessons. And so I think our soul chooses to incarnate. And based on perhaps the lessons that our soul is seeking to learn, and what we're seeking to experience, 
we incarnate with maybe in different nationalities, different experiences with a different purpose. And so I think you can see yourself as, oh, I have a disadvantage because I'm born here or I'm born this color or I'm born this nationality. Or you can step back and first see yourself as a soul and go, what is the lesson my soul is seeking to learn? And what is my soul seeking to learn from this experience? What is my soul seeking to learn from this experience? What is my soul seeking to learn from this experience? And how can I use that experience in order to perhaps learn, grow, and evolve so that I can live my purpose and fulfill my destiny in this lifetime? And so I see that part of my mission in this lifetime is to bring cultures together, Mm. is to bring people Mm. together, is to bridge and unite people from different backgrounds. So I'm not saying I couldn't do that if I was only from one culture, but I Mm -hmm. think I am more prepped to do that, bridging East and bridging West, Western thought, Eastern thought, Western philosophy, literally, because I literally grew up in different cultures, Mm -hmm. three different continents, different cultures. And so when I look at it that way, it's like, I'm blessed. I see myself as blessed and not disadvantaged. And I think how we see ourselves, determines our experience of ourself Mm -hmm. and determines how we experience life. That You said it. There is a narrative that you're more disadvantaged. But I think that sometimes the media and certain powers that be want people who are different, not fitting in the mainstream, to buy into the narrative. Oh, poor you. You're Mm -hmm. disadvantaged. Because if you start buying into that, you are disadvantaged and feeling less than other people, mm-hmm. then you're not going to access the embrace your own uniqueness, what makes you special, you know, your differentiating factor, and you won't tap into that. And if you start feeling sorry for yourself, you're going to go into victim and that will right. disempower you. So I would say, create your own narrative. There aren't some systematic issues in our culture that are real. Let's not be Pollyanna. But I believe it doesn't mean you have to allow yourself to be limited by it. Mm -hmm. I think we can allow ourselves to see it for what it is, acknowledge it for what it is, and choose. If I'm a soul, then on some level, my soul chose to incarnate into this human experience in this family system, in this nationality, in this country. And it's for a reason. And so I think if we can tune into that reason, learn those lessons, we can all begin to transcend what we were born into. Destiny, you could say, is what we were born into, Mm -hmm. but we don't have to be limited by that destiny through our, you could say, efforts, our intelligence, our commitment, our hard work. We can start shifting our karma and destiny Mm -hmm. also. I'm smiling so hard because I actually said this on the podcast so our listeners know when I was little, I actually also thought of myself as a soul before identifying as an Asian person. And I grew up in an all-Caucasian school. It wasn't until someone pointed out that I was different that I made that connection, right? So it is very interesting and I think really important to have different perspectives on this. I think the question is, if we really want to be free in this life, in this simulation, in this human experience, Mm -hmm. we say, well, I'm an Asian person. I'm a Mexican person. And I think on one level, in this human experience, we are. But on another level, we are pure consciousness. Yeah. We are souls having an experience being an Asian person. Mm-hmm. We are souls having an experience yeah. being black, orange, white, green. But what we are is pure light, pure energy. And I think 
if we get so identified, the limitation in human experience becomes when we get so identified with the label, I'm African, which in this human experience, I am African. I love that part of my heritage. I don't deny it. I embrace it. But we also have to realize that we can't hold on to it so tightly that it now limits us and creates separation. Right. And so we're souls that we are having an experience as an Asian, Japanese, mm-hmm. uh, Latino, yeah. uh, Black, African, African-American. But what we are, I think we have to go to the deeper foundation first mm-hmm. to question, like, who am I? Yes. Like, I like to say I'm wearing, wearing an Asian person. <laughs> wear- <laughs> You're wearing yeah. it. And it's beautiful and it's amazing. And let's celebrate it and yeah. let's enjoy it. But underneath, there's a deeper like, and what I am is a soul. You know, so let's enjoy what we are and celebrate it and, you know, be proud of it. Yes. Whilst at the same time, having a bit of space, knowing that we are right. consciousness first and foremost. It is kind of wild, isn't it? Because I completely agree with you. I see these as our vessels. And it's almost like if you spend your whole life driving a Toyota, you think that you're a Toyota, but that's just your car. <laughs> You know, if you wear this black T-shirt, like, oh, we get so identified with ourselves as this black T-shirt that the moment you have to take it off at night, don't take it off. No, it's It's like, it's just a T-shirt. So So it's like as humans, we've become so identified with the T-shirt that we're wearing, with the costume. And society, media has an investment in conditioning us to believe we are this t-shirt, mm. to believe you are this costume, you are your history, right. you are your trauma, you are this, because the more we believe we are this limited mind-body mechanism, the more limited we become, the more we disconnect with the true reality mm-hmm. of what we are. And the more we disconnect from what we truly are, which is infinite what we are is infinite beings and the more we kind of like forget that that's what we are Mm. we really believe that i'm just this little t-shirt thing i'm just this ego form Mm. that's when we can be controlled that's when we can be manipulated and that's when i think we live in fear Mm. because we forget like oh i'm a manifestation what i am is a manifestation of this infinite stream of energy that is life itself that is beyond birth that is beyond death like We are infinite beings, not the body, not the form, not the label, but the energy that is living and breathing us that we really are is infinite, you know? And I think when we forget that and we get so locked down to this fixed point called me, we become limited. And for those listening, this is really important what Kud is talking. And I've heard you speak on this before. Because we're not just talking about trauma in a nutshell, right? We're talking about this bigger picture of where it exists. I would love to hear your take, Coot, on, I believe, with the media, right? There's a saying that if it bleeds, it leads. Not to sound conspiracy, but it's true that there is incentive behind keeping people thinking a certain way. And so what does the media and corporation, what do they gain from keeping people switch on the TV, yeah? And we're constantly being sold this idea, like, you're not enough. You're not enough. Look at this magazine cover. Here's what beauty is. You're not enough. You've got to look like this to be acceptable. Got to look like this to be okay 
you got to wear this underwear, you got to drive this car, you got to have these six pack in order to be okay. So we're kind of subconsciously being hypnotized to believe that you are this, you are not this, you are this, you are not this, or you are not enough. You're not enough as you are. But if you're this, if you look like Giselle, if you look like this prescribed idea of beauty and success, Mm-hmm. then you're going to be enough. And we'll sell you this iPhone for like $2,000. And then, <laughs> then that will make you acceptable enough, right? Ah, you're not enough, you're not enough. But if you just like wear these shoes for $47.97, then you'll be enough. And so you could say the media, two things, has to hypnotize you, seduce you to believe the lie. The greatest conspiracy is that you are just this limited little person with no power. The greatest conspiracy is that the media, you could say, not for any other reason other than like wanting to sell us a bunch of stuff, basically, right? Because if we believe that we are not powerful, if we believe that we are victims, if we believe that we are powerless, if we believe that we are not enough, but then all of these things that we should achieve, go to university, get this degree, buy this thing, get this job, drive this car, wear these shoes, eat this food, live in this kind of house. That drives the world. If we believe that that's what we need to achieve and become in order to be enough, then we get sold. And so there is an economic investment in that way. Part of it as human beings is having the courage, question, Mm -hmm. like, wait a second, who am I? What am I? What's real? What's not real? What's true? What's so? And so we're living inside of, you could say, a matrix of conditioning. Parents, religion, education system, the media, television. Often, media doesn't have an investment in you being free. Because when you know that you are free, I'm free. I'm a unique expression of consciousness. I am enough just as I am. You know that half of the stuff that you are spending your life working to buy in order to get so that you can feel a sense of enoughness, you don't need anymore. And -hmm. if you don't need to buy that thing and have that watch and get that car and get that thing to be enough, doesn't mean you can't have it. But if you're not needing it to be Mm -hmm. enough, then you've unplugged yourself. You're free. And that's power. Real power is knowing who you are. Real power is being in touch with what you truly are. And I think that's your freedom. Then you have the ability to choose. Oh, that's so beautiful. It is so interesting, you know, the things that we choose to invest in. The whole sneaker example, it's a great business model because you're only good enough until the next edition comes out, right? Or until the next version of the iPhone comes out. And it's compared to something, you know, like going to therapy or coaching that actually produces an outcome. There's no end to this consumerism. No. And that's the addiction. That's the sickness. That's the conspiracy. You could say retailers, you know, it's business. They don't want there to be an end because if there's an end and you're free, it's like, what happens? (laughs) Right. We have to question, is this healthy? And who am I doing this for? And what is motivating mm-hmm. me? And right. why am I doing this? And what is driving me? Because when we truly learn to love ourselves as we are, to heal ourselves as we are, 
to heal that trauma of feeling neglected and abandoned and unloved and abused and bullied, to heal those aspects and those parts of ourselves and bring those parts of ourselves into wholeness, to really come mm-hmm. into the full acceptance of ourselves, that is real beauty. Because then we can start seeing the beauty of our being, the beauty of our essence, the beauty of what we truly are. And I think if we truly start doing that to learn to love, true healing is bringing loving to those parts of ourselves that are hurting. That's where healing happens. When we bring loving and compassion to those parts of ourselves that are hurting. The challenge is many times because we've experienced trauma or pain, doing that thing is just a band-aid over the pain and the trauma. And even when we do that thing to try and get a sense of enoughness, it's never enough yeah, because never we don't enough. feel enough inside of ourselves. So we're constantly chasing that right. thing. Another handbag, another million dollars. Nothing wrong with making money, but nothing outside of us will make us feel enough mm-hmm. if we don't feel enough within ourselves. And media knows that. Media preys on that. And so I think we have to like wake up and unplug ourselves and really learn how to love ourselves mm-hmm. with deep compassion learn how to hold that inner child the different ages nice. inside of us, you know <laughs> you brought it home yeah with loving and compassion yes. because we often didn't feel enough and from that not feeling loved ultimately not feeling loved just mm-hmm. as we are by our parents by mom by dad by our caretakers because now we feel not enough we learn to go into the world mm-hmm. to seek that sense of enoughness in the world through achievement, through various means that we mm-hmm. just talked about. And it's a never-ending game. It will never end that way. And we will never truly feel happy when we're seeking it outside. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's not just cheesy saying that happiness is an inside job because it really is. I do love our material world, I admit. Yeah, no, nothing <laughs> I mean, wrong with it. Yeah. Nothing wrong. But I think what you're illustrating is relying on those things as a substitute for the fullness that we feel on the inside. That itself, I do believe is a grave mistake because, I mean, look at our hustle culture, right? Our Western culture here in general, it's a rat race because what people are looking towards the material world to fill is something that I feel can only be achieved on the inside, right? And again, I'm not against achievement and, hey, I hope everybody makes a billion dollars. Nothing <laughs> wrong with it, right? The challenge is when you're pursuing that to get that sense of happiness yes, and to get exactly. that sense of fulfillment, mm-hmm. it's never ending and it will leave you empty-handed. Yeah. I think if you ask many of us in our culture, why are you hustling that way? Why? Maybe 50%, 60% of us would not really be able to give a really mm-hmm. clear, because I have to. We don't stop to question what is driving me. Sometimes we achieve what we thought we wanted, only to then realize, wait a second, what I thought I wanted was not what I really wanted. It was just what I thought I wanted mm-hmm. based on who I thought I was. Yeah, it's and, the decoy. And so, and so <laughs> the many decoy. times our goals become like a sort of, projection of unmet needs from our childhood. I think part of the foundation becomes we have to be willing to question Mm -hmm. who am I? 
And what do I really want? Like, truly, what do I really, right. truly, truly, truly want? And often we don't question. We're being motivated by our trauma, mm-hmm. motivated by the wounds. And when our life is motivated by our wounds and we're driven by those wounds to achieve, the achievement itself will never be enough. Mm-hmm. But I think when we can really begin to step back and heal those wounds, bring healing and bring loving, then our motivation shifts. Then you can still be motivated, or I should say your motivation will shift into inspiration because in inspiration, you're no longer seeking just to get something from the world to cover up your trauma. You're feeling complete and whole within yourself. Mm -hmm. And from the completeness and wholeness and happiness within yourself, you're inspired to share and give rather than try and get and take from the world. And there is a difference. One is you're trying to get something and one is you're inspired to give something. And so, Mm -hmm. yes, I would say this. Happiness is our true nature. It's what we are. If you look at a child, right? A little newborn baby, they're freaking happy. They're just like, (laughs) you know, before the conditioning and before our trauma and before our parents screamed at us and dad abandoned us and, you know, all of that stuff. We're just like full of happiness. Not because we got two zillion Instagram followers or we won an Oscar or we made a million dollars, just lying there, giggling, gurgling, (laughs) just happy. It's our nature. It's what we are. So here's the thing. We mistakenly think that we are happy because we achieved the goal. This is an illusion. Because I achieved that thing, I'm happy. I get that car, I'm happy. I get the guy. I'm happy. I go on that vacation. I'm happy. So here's the actual dynamic of what actually happens. When we achieve that thing that we've assigned the source of our happiness, what happens is for a moment, the constant seeking stops. Our seeking ceases. When the ego's constant seeking ceases, we relax for a moment. We now mistakenly assign the source of that relaxation and happiness because of the Mm -hmm. object. But what happens in the cessation, the stopping of activity, is we relax into the happiness that was always there. And that's the difference. We think the Ferrari I bought made me happy. But you'll notice you buy that car, you're happy for about two weeks, and then you get dissatisfied. (laughs) But we mistakenly assign the object to be the source of our happiness. It's not the object that's the source. It's the fact that for a moment, because you stopped being in activity and you stopped, the stopping got you in touch with the happiness that was always there for a moment. And that's when you start seeing, oh, it's not the object that is the reason I'm happy. It's happiness is what's natural to me. And I stopped seeking happiness and I just connected with what was natural to me all along. And that's the shift. And so I think when we can make the shift, we live in a culture that is misguided, sort of been taught to make objects the source of happiness, not realizing it's not the case. Oh, cool. This is so good. You described it better than I have. So it's essentially saying that we have misattributed Miss, right, the, the source of it. Yeah, misassigned. And because it seems like, ah, I get the iPhone, I'm happy. Right. But now we attach it to the iPhone, yeah. but it's not the iPhone. 
It's the fact that for that split hour, week, or whatever it is, we stop seeking. In that cessation, we kind of relaxed into the happiness that was actually always there before mm-hmm. the iPhone. Exactly. That's it. And I've said before that the phone isn't the one feeling the happiness. It's you, right? You're yes. the one creating the hormones and the emotions to produce it. I love the way that you framed it. It's so spot on. Damn, we need a minute to digest uh-huh. that. <laughs> I would love to talk about your sure. book, The Magic of Surrender. So this is a very interesting segue because cool. speaking of Japan, I actually just got back from Japan a few oh, weeks ago. Nice, nice. <laughs> I got engaged and everything went wrong on the trip, <laughs> which was really funny. We're fine now. But at the time, it actually forced us to surrender to the chaos of the trip. So I'm going to use that segue to bring up the topic of surrender. What was the inspiration behind writing this book, The Magic of Surrender? Yeah, look, I'll say that this was not the book I thought I was going to write. And this was not the book I wanted to write. I had my own agenda and I had my (laughs) own intention of the book I thought I was going to write. And I basically made an entire whiteboard of clever ideas and topics that I thought I was going to write about. And none of those felt authentic. None of those felt true. The only word I wrote on this whiteboard that felt real was the word surrender. So I had to go through a process of surrendering to the book. Yeah, surrendering to the book. (laughs) To be written, you know, and that's when the magic happened. And so when I did that, everything about my life began to make sense. I'll give you an example. Like in 2016, and I think this is what instigated the books, perhaps inspired the book. At the end of 2016, my mother, who I love dearly, she was everything to me, you know. Mm. My mother was diagnosed with stomach cancer at the end of 2016. And so it was very difficult because somehow you think your parents are going to live forever and it gets you in touch with the mortality of life, right? And so at the end of 2016, I basically began to fly back and forth from LA to London every month for a week to be with my mother. And I would sit with her in chemo sessions and try to heal her and take care of her. And long story short, about six or seven months into this process, we were in the hospital one day and the doctor said, there's nothing we can do for you. Basically, you're going to die. So get your affairs in order. And it was a really challenging moment. It was a very difficult moment. It was really hard because I really realized that... I don't know how long I have my mother. This little Japanese woman, I look her in the eyes and I said to her two questions. Number one, are you afraid? And I'm like, it's happening. Basically, you're going to die at some point soon. Are you afraid? And my mother looks me in the eyes and she says, I'm not afraid because I know I'm not this body. This body is just a temporary vehicle for my soul. When this body dies, I will be with you. So I'm not afraid. And I saw the power in her eyes of a woman that in the face of death knew who she was. I wanted to be a good son. And so I asked my mother again, like, what can I do for you in your final days? What do you need? What do you want? Where can I take you? What can I buy you? Like, what can I do? And my mother said to me, 
quite simply, there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing I need. There's nothing I want. The only thing I want for myself is what God wants for my life. And that was the moment I understood something. I saw that she was free. My mother was free, truly. And this entire year, she didn't feel like a victim. She wasn't complaining. She was at peace. She was not attached to dying. She was not attached to living. She was totally surrendered to the highest unfolding of her soul's journey. That was her freedom. I saw that in that moment, surrender is the password to freedom, that that was the key. And then I began reflecting on this book, and I saw that all of the folks I really respected or inspired me in somewhat, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Mandela, Martin Luther King, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, like these folks, none of whom were weak people, that they got to the point in their lives where they surrendered themselves. They all surrendered themselves to life. In that surrender, they transcended their human limitation and they tapped into another dimension of their own potential and life began to use them. Mm -hmm. Life began to create through them. Like they transcended their past. They transcended their traumas. Life began to express through them beyond their own human capacity. And that's when miracles happen. And so I really feel as though surrender is the password to freedom, but surrender is the real secret to manifestation. Surrender is the real key to the next level of our lives. Surrender is the real key to power. And if we want true abundance, joy, magic in our lives, we have to surrender. But many of us, we don't surrender for reasons you know we can get into. But what I see is in our culture today, there's this misconception that surrender is weak, that surrender is passive, that surrender means giving up, waving the white flag, that surrender means like you're going to be a doormat. You're going to be left behind. You won't manifest your dreams and desires. If you surrender, you've got to like force your way. Like surrender <laughs> means you're yeah. going to get less in life. And I'm actually saying, no, when you really understand the real essence and meaning of surrender, what if you didn't get less, but you got more, more than you could have intended, projected. What if you got more than maybe not what you expected, but beyond? And I think there is a magic and power of surrender. And so I always say, if you want more magic in your life, magic, you've got to surrender. The challenge is many of us want more magic, but we don't want to surrender. <laughs> yeah. And there's the limitation. And so just to set that context, like surrender so people are clear, it is a letting go of control, or I should say the illusion that we're in control. Mm -hmm. Surrender is when we stop forcing or manipulating life and relationships to fit our limited idea mm -hmm. of how we think it should be. Surrender is when we let go of the idea of how we think life should be, how we think we should be, so that we can be open and available for the deeper expression and unfolding of life. And I think that's when the magic happens, you know? Surrender is when we take the limitations off of life and we're open to saying, okay, life, show me, show me. And so the old paradigm was all about the ego-based model for living and creating mm -hmm. life. And I think you can create life from the ego. You can, but it will be limited life because a life that's created from the ego, that which we believe ourselves to be, is limited and it doesn't see the entire mm -hmm. perspective of life. But when we truly surrender, we tap into our soul. And the question mm -hmm. becomes less about what do I want? And the question becomes more about 
what is it that life is seeking to express through me? What is the universe seeking to manifest through me? What is God, the universe, life? What is my soul seeking to express? What is the deepest impulse of what life is seeking to express through me? To then feel that, to listen to that, to become obedient to that, to live in alignment with that deeper truth of our being, then we can sort of align our ego, our mind, our personality, our planning, our strategy with our soul's intelligence. I think that's what it is to live surrender. Oh, good. I want to thank you for sharing everything that you've said just now. And the reason I feel very emotional is, you know, you sharing the story about your mom and bless her heart. I'm so grateful that you had that closure. I'm actually going through that with my grandparents right now who raised me. That's why I went to Asia so I could go visit them in China. And it is so true that at the end of life, it's almost like we're forced to face this, right? Personally, I just wanted to say thank you. That This was a wonderful synchronicity to be able to chat with you today. I'm so glad um, you went to see your grandparents. You know, the only regret, when I sat with my mother during her year of passing, and I would hold her hand, we would go to chemo, eight hours, stuff pumping through her veins. And we would just talk like for mm-hmm. eight to 10 hours, just, you know, about nothing and everything. Mm-hmm. The only regret I had in my life was not spending more time with my mom. That was the only regret. It's like all the times I thought I was too busy to spend time with her because I was building my career, saving the world, you know? And I realized, wait a second, only regret I have is not spending more time. Yeah. And so I think that matters anymore. Yeah. I think that death is a blessing. Obviously, our souls cannot die, but in this Mm -hmm. human form, the body will die. And I think when we can just embrace death, it gets us in touch with what's real, Mm -hmm. what's important, what is sacred. And I think every moment is sacred, you know, and so much of what we think is important, so much of what we valued, so much of what we're doing in life, we start realizing in the face of death, not really that important. Mm -hmm. So true. You know, speaking about this surrender, it's been very interesting the synchronicities even in this podcast because the word surrender has sort of just become a theme without even me trying to curate this so i'm going to ride off this and see where this goes i completely agree with you similarly to you i feel blessed to have been able to manifest a lot of things through my experience of surrender but to someone starting off their healing journey surrender is the complete opposite of living in survival right? And the ego is in survival. It feels so scary to somebody who's never surrendered before. How would you explain this to someone who is just starting their healing journey? Yeah, look, if you're just beginning your healing journey, there's many things I'll say from different angles. If you're just beginning your healing journey, I know that surrender can seem scary. It can feel scary. And it's okay that it is. You know, resistance is natural. So what I will say is you don't have to force surrender. Like, oh, let me like make myself surrender. Because sometimes when you force surrender, it can activate the fear even more. Because what is scary or what is scared is the ego. The ego is that which we believe ourselves to be. And the ego is that which we identify ourselves as. And the ego is a reaction from past childhood experiences 
that have been conditioned into certain adaptive patterns that we identify as me, the ego's job is to reinforce its existence, number one, but the ego's job is to protect you from getting hurt, like you were hurt Mm -hmm. again, because it was traumatic. Maybe it was traumatic to feel nobody was around. It was traumatic to feel my needs weren't met by my parents. It was Mm -hmm. traumatic to feel mom and dad are screaming all the time, and this is too much, you know, intensity. And so what we learn to do, if we can just understand this, then I think it can change our relationship with our ego and our resistance and fear of surrendering. And so perhaps maybe as children, we learn to shut down, disconnect, not feel. We learn to separate from a feeling capacity, suppress emotion, suppress emotion, suppress emotion, suppress emotion. Before you know it, our true light was hidden underneath the layers of unfelt emotion. And we learn how to, shall we say, erect all sorts of walls around our sensitivity and our heart's capacity to feel as a way of functioning and surviving. The ego has learned to function and survive. So now we sort of disconnected from our heart and capacity to feel, to Mm -hmm. function and survive. That worked for us when we were five. It worked for us when we were 15. Maybe worked for us when we were in our 20s. But often we reach a point in our lives where it no longer works for us. So the ego's adaptive mechanism that we learn to become, Mm -hmm. the version of ourselves that we learn to become to avoid pain and survive and to get love, validation, and approval by developing a role, a mask, and persona, the version of ourselves that we end up thinking that we are, which is ego, means well. It means well. It has positive attention, but it's often limiting. So when we say surrender to the ego, it's like, if I surrender, I might get hurt again. This is why surrender can feel scary because, mm-hmm. you mean, if I surrender and let go, I might not get my knees met again. If I surrender, open my heart, I might feel that helplessness again. I don't want to do that. And so the ego seeks to be in control. And control is not even bad. It's just a mechanism. Because if I can control you, control life, control my husband, my wife, my everything, then maybe I won't get hurt again. So even the mechanism of control is well intended. It's well intended. So if we can understand, oh, these are mechanisms and patterns, it's okay. And rather than trying to like judge ourselves or even force ourselves to surrender, sometimes part of the deeper surrender, especially if we've had trauma in our past, mm-hmm. is not even trying to like enforce surrender on top of that, is to learn how to understand why our defensive resistance mechanisms are there. And when we can start to see them for what they are, like, oh, I see why I'm resisting. I see why I'm not surrendering because this part of me is trying to protect me. Mm-hmm. And when we can actually not force surrender, but surrender to the fact that, you know what? I'm not surrendered right now and it's okay. And let me just learn how to meet my non-surrender, my ego, and hold it with love. Mm-hmm. Let me hold it with love because I'm scared. It's scared. So part of surrender is to just be willing to acknowledge yeah. <laughs> oh, the reason I'm acting that way or my heart is closed or I'm avoiding surrender is I'm afraid. And so when we can meet the fear with just compassion and even just sometimes be with ourselves as we are, like, I'm afraid. Don't have to force surrender. There's a deeper surrender that can happen when we can just be with our non-surrender and learn how to love ourselves through that. That's 
where a level of relaxation and mm-hmm. healing can happen in our body, in our nervous system. And when we can bring loving to those parts, then another layer of healing can happen. And what I found is surrender can begin to slowly open up. And so if it's new to you, you're struggling with it, you don't have to like, I'm going to surrender now. Just acknowledge the fear and meet your fear with loving. Meet your resistance with tenderness and just love yourself where you are right now. That is a layer of surrender. Mm -hmm. That is a step of surrender. And so that's step one. The other thing I would say, if you're like, okay, I'm ready to take a step, maybe not complete, but take a step. And surrender doesn't have to happen all at once. It can be a natural evolution and process of life. Mm -hmm. And so people are wondering, well, where do I start? One place to start as a simple practical thing can be the willingness to begin telling yourself the truth. Mm -hmm. One of the ways that we keep ourselves stuck, one of the ways we keep resisting is to stay in denial. Mm, denial so true. is the ego's mechanism for keeping ourselves the same for keeping mm. remember the ego's job is to reinforce its existence to keep us safe and to make sure we don't get hurt again so the mm. ego doesn't want to change surrender let go because if i let go i might get hurt again if mm. i open my heart even if right. it's good i might get hurt again if i go into the unknown i might get hurt again even if i'm suffering at least i know Mm-hmm. The level yeah, of the familiar, and it's familiar and it's manageable. And so if we understand that, we see that one of the ways we keep ourselves safe, stuck, is we lie to ourselves. We've been conditioned to lie to ourselves from childhood. We mm-hmm. become who we think we need to be to get love, validation, approval. Oh, I'll show this face to my mom. I'll show this face to my dad. So we learn to suppress parts of ourselves to be loved and validated by the world. That's painful. And so I think if we can just start with what lies am I telling myself? What am I not telling myself the truth about? We stay in relationships, as an example, that we know are not right. So it might just start with, I'm not in love anymore. And it's scary. Mm -hmm. I would say, take the pressure off of yourself from having to take action. So if you're like, but it's scary, could I'm just beginning? Take the pressure. You don't have to take any action, but just acknowledge the truth. I'm not in love with my wife. Scares me. Because sometimes we don't acknowledge the truth because we're Mm -hmm. afraid of what the truth might mean and the consequences. And, oh, you mean surrender means I have to leave the relationship? (laughs) Take the pressure off. So then we lie to ourselves. I'm not in love. This is not working. It hasn't worked for five years. We're not in alignment. Feel that. Mm -hmm. You don't have to leave. You don't have to get a divorce. But just get into relationship Mm -hmm. with the truth. Let that begin a process inside. That might lead to a conversation and a breakthrough. It might lead to a deeper conversation and a breakup. But just starting with the truth, you can't shift and change something if you're not acknowledging the reality of what you feel. Mm -hmm. So the truth will set you free. There is no transformation without truth. So if all you do is, I'm going to tell the truth to myself. I'm not going to act. That can begin a process inside so, so powerful. You know, in Dr. Phil's words, you can't change what you don't acknowledge, right? <laughs> this is awesome. I love that you and I align so much. And it feels like we use different language to describe something similar. And what you're sharing here is absolute gold. And this is such an awesome compliment to talk about on the podcast. So thank you so much for that. I love what you said about just 
being honest with yourself as that first step without committing to taking a scary change and how that itself is so transformative and healing in itself. That's so, so true. Oh, there was something I was going to ask you, actually. You know, I really love the cover of your book. <laughs> it's Coot. Looks like he's standing on a beach, like I with his hat on, yes. like living his best life. And <laughs> I have a book coming out, too, later this year. And I was just captivated by that image for some wow. reason. Was there like a story behind that photo? Zero. Zero. <laughs> again, this was not the book I thought I was going to write. Yeah. This was not the book title I thought was going to be the book title. And this was mm. certainly not the book cover I thought was going to be the book cover. <laughs> when I took the photo in Tulum, I go to Tulum a lot. I was mm. on the beach just doing a photo shoot. I don't even remember the picture. I remember I just sent a bunch of pictures to my publisher and they're like, we love this picture. Yeah. I'm like, and this is going to be a book cover. I'm like, I hate this book cover. <laughs> and then when I agreed to the book title and they put that together, it just felt right. And so it just goes to show sometimes the best things in life are not what you plan. So true. And, and sometimes yeah. what you think is, isn't. And what you think isn't, yeah. <laughs> is, you know. And so, mm. yeah, that it just felt like the cover of the book and that posture mm. represented the open-hearted feeling. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's Open-hearted how I felt. feeling mm. of true surrender which was mm -hmm. just living with an open heart and embracing life. Well, I love the cover. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> I was mesmerized by it. I'd love to talk to you about that later. I got my first book coming out with oh, Ulysses nice. Press. And nice. luckily, I'm not on the cover because uh, <laughs> I'm not ready for that yet. But that's really awesome. I guess the last fun yes, question, yes. although I feel like I could talk to you for hours, Coot. <laughs> <laughs> but what would you like to see happen in the world, honestly? And it could be a funny answer. It could be a serious answer, but just from your heart, what do you want to see happening in our world? I would love to see people living surrender. When I say mm -hmm. living surrender, living more in alignment with their soul. Because I think when we live connected to our soul, a more soulful way of living, we live in harmony with life. Because here's the thing. If I'm connecting to my soul, oh, I know that I'm a soul. I know who I am. Then the truth is I know who you are. If I know who I am, I know who you are because at that deepest level, we are one. At that deepest level, we're being lived and breathed by the same energy, the same intelligence, the same consciousness. You know, And so I think when I know who I am, I know who you are, then that sense of illusory false separation will begin to dissolve. Mm -hmm. And that's when I think there'll be more... Well, we can live in touch with the experience of love as a way of being much more fully. And I think the last few years of this pandemic experience that the planet has gone through, we've been put through a surrender seminar as humanity. But I feel as though humanity, we are being evolved and initiated into a new way of living. Mm -hmm. Now, I think it's going to take more than this because half the world has just gone back to the way things were. But mm -hmm. I think slowly we're being initiated into a new way of living, which was surrendering, realizing, yeah, maybe you guys aren't in control. Okay, then what is in control? What's real? What's true? Allowing life, God, this in deeper intelligence mm -hmm. of life to guide us, allowing ourselves to be guided by this innate intelligence. What would that be like to live that? That's what I would love to see. 
That is so beautiful. I would love the same. I'm just grinning from ear to ear. <laughs> it's one of the things I've always said is that you are just me in a different life. This was just like a wow, like a full circle moment for me. Cool. I'm just kind of curious. I personally am very excited about AI coming into our world and talks of the singularity. And I know that there's a lot of fear around it, right? And concerns that maybe humanity isn't really ready for such a rapid development of technology and even the converging of the singularity at some point. I'm not sure if you're at all into that world, but what are your thoughts on it? You know, different thoughts. I think there's no way to stop it. I think technology is evolving at an incredibly exponential and rapid rate that will only continue to accelerate the more technology develops. So it mm -hmm. is inevitable. We can resist it and get left behind, or we can embrace it and understand mm -hmm. how to use it. Now, I think technology in and of itself is not the issue. I think it's really our relationship with technology that's the issue. And that's why I think unless we truly know who we are, spiritual beings, unless we know who we truly are, technology will end up using us. Yes. But if yeah. we know who we truly are, then we are in touch with a deeper wisdom. Then I think we can more intelligently and wisely use technology rather than being used by technology. Then we can use technology to amplify truth, amplify mm -hmm. inspiration, amplify a message, amplify harmony, peace, joy, love, unity on the planet, you know? And so I think the evolution of technology, AI is inevitable. On one level, I think that it is also part of the evolution of consciousness on the planet, because as AI evolves, it is going to make obsolete many, many mundane jobs, mm -hmm. for better or worse. Yeah. A lot of the jobs that is taking up people's time and energy will become completely obliterated and obsoleted in the next year, two years, three years, five years. Now, at first, that will be deeply challenging because people will lose jobs. But what that will do in a bigger context is free up more time that was going into sort of menial, mundane tasks that gives us more time and energy potentially to grow, to evolve. Mm -hmm to expand our consciousness That's my hopes on, as well. <laughs> on stuff that is yeah. really, shall we say, important, you know, mm -hmm. really important. Then if that's the case, the potential for the accelerated rate of our spiritual evolution is also there at the same time. That's what I'm excited about. AI is great, but I think because of the potential of what it can do, which can have us do less doing mm -hmm. that can potentially free up our time and energy yeah. to expand our consciousness even more. Yeah. More time being less time yeah. doing. <laughs> well, this is such a high note to end the podcast on. <laughs> Kud, where can folks find you and find your book? Yeah. A couple of ways. Number one, people can go to Amazon, get the book, the magic of surrender. It's available on Amazon on paperback. The Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go. The paperback version has some updates in it, so you can check it out there. If people have been inspired by the conversation today, maybe feel as though you're ready for the next level and you're ready to dive deep. Depending on when people listen to this twice a year, I do an event in Bali, Indonesia, 
a 12-day deep dive experience for those ready to, shall we say, uncondition themselves and connect mm-hmm. to their true essence. It's called Boundless Bliss. People can go to www.boundlessblissbali.com. That's boundlessblissbali.com. My podcast, Soul Talk, on iTunes, mm-hmm. Spotify, Instagram, Hoot Blackson, Facebook, Hoot Love Now. And my main website, hootblackson.com, K-U-T-E-B-L-A-C-K-S-O-N.com. That sounds awesome. We're going to put the links in the show notes below so that you guys can find Coot. Personally, I love his Instagram as well. I love the bite-sized wisdom that you throw out. (laughs) But Coot, this has been not even just for me personally, but this has been such a wonderful and refreshing conversation. And I know that folks are just going to have so many notes from this. So if you guys share on Instagram, please tag the both of us. We would love to hear your takeaways. We're just so honored and grateful to have your time and to be on the show, Coot. Thank you so much. Is your trauma robbing you of the extraordinary relationship you could be having? Bestie, tell me if this sounds like you. Maybe you wind up in situationships where you don't feel loved, seen, or respected, and you let people walk all over you. Or maybe you feel so triggered with the fear of getting hurt that you end up pushing the other person away and sabotage your relationships. Or maybe you stay up all night in bed wondering, why do I struggle so much with the bare basics in love while my friends are out there having amazing relationships without breaking a sweat? My love, it's not your fault. You are not broken. You just have inner child wounds. If anyone understands, it's probably me. 200 first dates later and a dozen bad relationships, I finally cracked the code on what it really takes to go from being insecurely attached to attracting and maintaining a thriving, passionate, and secure relationship. So if you want to succeed in love, I've put together a free 60-minute workshop that gives you my three-step formula to breaking toxic patterns for good. Just go to gethealthylove.com. That's G-E-T healthylove.com. In this workshop, you'll learn how to never sabotage a relationship again, even if you have anxiety. And you'll learn how to get the secure relationship you want with the person who wants to commit to you. So if you're falling into the same patterns over and over, then you need to be at this workshop. To get instant access, go to gethealthylove.com. That's G-E-T healthylove.com. Or click on the link in the show notes. Life is hard enough, besties. Love doesn't have to be. If you love this episode, please hit subscribe and give us a five-star review. It really helps me a lot, so thank you. To join the community and get your daily dose of inner child tips, follow me on Instagram and social media at ByGloriaZang or visit ByGloriaZang.com. If you're a high achiever or entrepreneur who wants to work with me, message me the words high achiever and I'll get in touch. Thanks, bestie. See you in the next one. Thanks for tuning in, Bestie. I've got something for you. If you think this show deserves a five-star review, we'll send you my free Inner Child Starter Kit as a thank you for your support, which contains exclusive wallpapers and resources for you to download. To get your kit, just upload a screenshot of your review on Apple or Spotify to my webpage, 
bygloriazang.com slash reviews. The link is also in the show notes. There you can also check out my healing sessions and programs at bygloriazang.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and I will meet you in the next episode. Mwah!